right. Mark chapter number two this evening. Mark two. Thank you, Dan and Cassandra. Uh, Mark chapter number two. We have our biggest outreach of the year as far as the uh, the weight of it, the the vastness of it. And um, a lot of preparation has been underway for some time before it's been brought publicly to you. And then publicly we're getting it going and a lot of different things we're praying about with specificity, just needing God to, to work particularly and specifically in areas. And so tonight I want to uh, challenge us uh, just to encourage us and remind us the frame of mind in this matter of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And ultimately, it's about getting people to Jesus. And in Mark chapter number 2, we see that uh, in, in verses 1 through 12, it's, it's one of those stories that makes it probably on that highlight reel of the children's stories growing up because of the great visual that's there. And uh, so let's take our Bibles and stand looking at Mark chapter 2, beginning our reading in verse number 1. Mark writes, And again he, Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. I want to preach these few moments on this thought. Tuesday night is our fall festival, and it's all about what Jesus was about, what the church ought to be about, but what God's people need to be reminded about. And that is bringing people to Jesus. Bringing people to Jesus. Thank you. Please be seated. I want you to imagine if you were back in that sleepy little uh, town of Capernaum there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. The houses are square about like boxes and they're built of stone and one stone upon another and some of those 
relics of those houses still remain, and we saw some when we were there this past year. And the roofs of these houses are covered with saplings and, and, and sand and mud and tar, and on top of those would be tile. And the roofs are flat, and sometimes there's a stairway on the outside, and you can go up that to the roof and they'd drive food and they'd sit up there at nighttime and try to catch a little bit of a breeze. And, and that's the, the, the picture, the, the scene, the idea. And then there's this little particular house. This house is jam-packed with people. I mean, they're in there so tight that you could not put anyone else in there. Even if you had a crowbar to, to, to try to pry them in, it's just, it was tight, it was crowded. The bedrooms were filled. The hallways were filled. People are looking in the windows and, and all around. And it says even the door. And they're trying to get in. The center of attraction, we're told, is that Jesus was in the house. That's why we pray Sunday morning at 8 o'clock with our men's prayer time that God would show up. What makes a difference is when God is in the house. And and yes, we understand theologically he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. But Jesus also taught us that where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst, meaning he likes to manifest his presence. James 4 and verse 8, you draw nigh to God, the omnipresent one will draw nigh to you. In other words, he manifests his presence. Here, Jesus was there. He was in the house. And uh, he's preaching the word of God. It's not primarily a healing service. It's a preaching service. He's preaching God's word. And we're told the Bible says that there are four men who have a friend that they want to get to Jesus. I think about last week with friend day, how many of you worked very hard to get guests here. You brought friends. You, you worked to bring somebody that, that uh, you were burdened about perhaps. And, and here are four men who were burdened to bring someone to Jesus. This man had been paralyzed, the Bible says. He was sick of the palsy, meaning he's paralytic. And they're trying to get him to Jesus. And so they know no better way. They try to get through the door. They can't, they can't get through the crowd, the press. And so they go to the roof and they begin to disassemble the roof and, and, and put him down through the roof. Now imagine the service. Jesus is in there preaching. The people are listening and suddenly they hear pounding. And they notice some sand starting to fall, going down people's collars, and, and, and the roof begins to quiver. And then there's a crack, and, and a hand reaches down through that, and then another hand. And then there's eight hands working frantically, and then they all look up, and there's a gaping hole in the roof. Four faces looking over, and eight pairs of eyes looking down, and, and here comes a stretcher with a rope tied to each of the corners, and it's just lowered right down in the right spot in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at this man. He's moved with compassion because that's the nature of our Lord. And he says to this man, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Bible says that Jesus did that when he saw their faith. And I believe it included in that faith was the faith of the man on the stretcher. And we can't uh, put our faith in Jesus for you, but we can trust Jesus for you. We can trust Jesus to work in your heart. 
And by the way, that's man's greatest need still. It's not the healing of the body. It's the forgiveness of sins. That's what man's greatest need is about. Well, the Pharisees are also there. And these Pharisees, well, they're not going to miss out on a good opportunity to be critical of a miraculous event. And these Pharisees were the ones in whom the milk of human kindness had curdled. And they knew how to criticize. They were very experienced at criticism. It doesn't take much size to criticize, does it? And they begin to criticize. And they ask a question, why does this man commit blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God? Now they were half right and they were half wrong. They were wrong when they said that Jesus was committing blasphemy, but they were quite right when they said only God can forgive sins. And that's what this man needed. And that's what Jesus Christ, who is God in the human flesh, did for this man. Jesus forgave him. And I want to tell you again tonight that uh, God is still in the business of forgiving people and cleansing people and making them whole, transforming lives. So I want you to look at with me here just a few thoughts from Mark chapter 2 in this matter of bringing people to Jesus. One thought is, number one, we must bring all men to Christ. We must bring them all to Jesus. These four brought that paralyzed man to Jesus and they might have said several things about this man. They might have said, first of all, he's not worth bringing, he's paralyzed. He's obviously a sinner because Jesus dealt with that. He addressed it morally, physically. He might not be worth much at all. But call no man worthless for whom Jesus died. He was precious in the sight of Jesus. Just one soul. And we heard last week that very thought that had you been the only person that ever lived, God would love you just the same. And Jesus would have died for you because each soul is precious to him. All, all the stocks and bonds and rubies and gems and emeralds and diamonds put together can never equate the value of the worth of a soul to God. One soul is worth it all. Do you know a lost soul tonight? Do you know somebody who's without Jesus? I tell you, you have an obligation and a privilege to bring a soul to Jesus. We must bring them all to Jesus. You don't know the potentiality of a life that is set free by Jesus. His name was Matthew Bridges. He was an orphan. He was somebody that had been thrown away. He was an abandoned baby. You know where Matthew was found? They found him under a bridge. That's how he got his name. They found him on St. Matthew's Day, and so they named him Matthew Bridges. It was just a little boy of somebody who had been thrown away. He was shoved up under a bridge, not really thought too much of. And yet Matthew Bridges was the one who later on wrote the song, Crown Him With Many Crowns, The Lord Upon His Throne. What I'm saying is we need to see people through the eyes of Jesus that they're all precious. We'll have 
praying for the, the potential of, uh, of 1,000, 1,500 people coming on the property Tuesday. Every one of them, red and yellow, black and white and brown and green, and, and there'll be all other kinds of colors here Tuesday night um, with whatever they're dressing in. And they're all precious to him. They're precious. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 that God will have all men to be saved. Peter said in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not willing uh, that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. John said that Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2 and verse 2, Jesus commanded us to, or Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, go and preach the gospel to every creature. I want to tell you and remind us that it is our duty it's also our responsibility. It's also our privilege to be able to uh, be not only a follower of Christ, but to bring people to Jesus. Lee Scarborough says, quote, the church that is not active in evangelism is guilty of high treason against heaven's king. R.A. Torrey said, I would like to know what right a man has to call himself a follower of Jesus who is not a soul winner for Jesus. Think about that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, I had rather bring one soul to Jesus Christ than to unpick all the mysteries in the divine world. A word, rather. Bring one soul to Jesus Christ, he says. May God help us to see our solemn responsibility, and our great privilege to bring all men to Jesus Christ. All men. That's the first thing. Number two, we must bring all men by all means. We must bring all men by all means to Jesus Christ. Now the means that they used were rather unique and strange. They needed a stretcher. How are you going to carry a paralyzed man? They said, well, let's get a stretcher. They used a stretcher. When they got to the house where Christ was, they couldn't get in the door. And so they said, if we can't get him in the door, we'll take him down, uh, let him down through the roof. See, the church that is going to be used of God is the church that is going to have enough creativity to use all the means that it can to bring all the people to Jesus. The seven last words of the church are these. Someone said, well, we never did it that way before. I included well, so I think it made it eight. Another one said, it's been put this way, come will or come woe, our status is quo. Now, we don't want to change just for change's sake. Our loyalty is not to tradition. Our loyalty is not to the trends of society or other churches. Our loyalty is to truth. But there's nothing wrong with looking at all people as having a value of their soul and seeing that there are opportunities if we would but ask God for, for help and enlightenment so that we can bring all men by all means to Jesus. If these men had broken up the roof when they could have come through the door, I think Jesus would have rebuked them. We're not going to do something just to be sensational or different. If what we're doing is right, then 
We don't want to change. If what we're doing is good, we may not need to change. But if there's a better way or another way to bring another soul to Jesus and another means to bring souls to Jesus, then let's do it. That's why we have this fall festival. That's why we have Veterans Day outreach next Sunday. And that's why we have OPSAT. That's why we have visits and popcorn drops and, and other things that we're doing. We're trying to bring as many people to Jesus by whatever means that we can find. If it's not illegal, if it's not immoral, if it's not unscriptural, then let's do it. Let's bring people to Jesus and let's see them get saved and their life changed. We're to bring all men to Jesus and we're to bring them by all means. Let me give you a third thought. We all are to bring all men by all means to Jesus. We all. Who, who might the we be? I'd say the church. Not preaching to Covington tonight. We don't really have jurisdiction here as Canaan Baptist Church over Christianity. It's the church. It's this band of committed disciples, at least that's the assumption. When someone says, I do, the other side says, I do, the assumption is there's commitment involved. When you said yes to Jesus because he said yes to you before the foundations of the world, Jesus said, follow me, and you said, yes, sir, and you follow him, the assumption is you're all. You're all in. We all are to bring all men by all means to Jesus. Seeing these four men bringing one man to Jesus shows the power of cooperation because it took these four to carry this stretcher and in this particular use, it took them all. Do you know what all of the programs of our church are about? They're stretchers to bring people to Jesus. Every program we have here is a stretcher to bring people to Jesus or else a means to train and equip stretcher carriers. That's what it's all about. I mean, a means to bring people to Jesus. We're all to be at it, all of us. The secret of that early church is that they were all at it. They were all in. They were always at it. The reason that the number of the disciples multiplied in Acts 6 and verse 1. They were all in, all at it. You say, well, God didn't call me to be a soul winner. He just called me to be a Bible teacher. Have you ever heard that one? I have. It's one of the few occasions I threw up without being sick. I, God didn't call me to be... Well, I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with you but what a good dose of getting saved or getting right with God could solve. And yeah, he called you. If you're part of his family, you're part of the call. A Christian who refuses to witness is like a person claiming to be a bus driver but refuses to drive a bus. We're all to be at it. The command is given to every one of us. We're all to cooperate together. What power there is in this matter of cooperation. What would happen if all of us 
would together bring our talents and our abilities and our time and our prayers and our tears and our money and bring it into a, a burning focus to tell this city and this world about Jesus Christ. What power there is when we work together, when we do it together, and, and we don't care who gets the credit. It took four to carry that stretcher. At a Midwestern fair, many spectators gathered around for an old-fashioned horse pull. It was an event where various weights are put on a horse-drawn sled and, and pulled along the ground. The grand champion horse pulled a sled with 4,500 pounds on it, and the runner-up was pretty close with 4,400-pound pull. And some of the men wondered what the two horses could pull if hitched together. And separately, they totaled nearly 9,000 pounds, but when hitched and working together as a team, they pulled over 12,000 pounds. The Bible never says that we're to be clones, we're individuals, but we are to be interdependent upon one another because the Bible says we're a body, functioning as a body. I was reading about Canadian geese. Canadian geese fly in a V formation. You know that, don't you? You've seen them fly overhead. How many have seen Canadian geese fly overhead? I see them from a distance. I try not to get near them. It's just one of those things. I am a, I'm a bird magnet, and I've had too many occasions. I can't even count them the number of times I have been shot at. And, um, and so anytime we see them, my wife lets go of my hand. She walks quickly away from me. And uh, I was preaching one time in Tennessee, and in between Sunday school and church, I had to go clean up because just walking from one building to the next with the rest of the crowd, I got hit. And so, yeah, it's just, um, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. But I do like observing this, especially after having read about it some time ago. Let me give you a few geese teamwork facts. Geese teamwork fact number one. As each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the birds that follow. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds 72% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. That's fascinating. The lesson there is, as we share in our great commission, we accomplish more and easier because we're traveling on the thrust of one another. That's why the togetherness makes a difference. Geese teamwork fact number two. When a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying along. It quickly moves back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of it. Lesson on that is if we have as much sense as a goose, we'd stay in formation with those headed where we ought to be going. We're willing to accept the help of others and we also give our help to others. And th this is turning into a message right here. This is getting pretty good as I'm thinking about this. Geese teamwork fact three. When the lead goose tires, it rotates back into formation and another goose flies to the point position. 
You know, the lesson there is it pays to take turns doing the hard task and sharing. Sharing in responsibility. As with geese, people are interdependent on each other. Geese teamwork fact number four. The geese flying in formation, they honk to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. We need to make sure our honking is encouraging. We don't need the sounds of the scribes and the Pharisees who are griping and complaining. We need to make sure our honking is encouraging. In groups where there's encouragement, the production is much greater. Geese teamwork fact number five. When a goose gets sick, wounded, or shot down, two geese drop out of formation and follow it to help and protect it. They stay with it until it dies or is able to fly again. Then they launch out with another formation to catch up with the flock. You know, if we have as much sense as geese, we will stand by each other in difficult times as well as when they're strong. And that's why we have the emphasis of the small groups. And that's why you have people who reach out, who care. That's why you have the connections. That's why when you're, you're absent, someone's checking. And the fact that some of you have griped and complained and resisted and bellyache because someone's asking, and it is 2023, and if you're in the digits of the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds and you have a phone, you ought to know how to use it. They do have guides out that can tell you how to use your phone. Oh, you use it to go through YouTube. You use it to go through social media because people see you there. But when somebody checks on you to find out why weren't you there, why weren't you? And you get defensive. It's because you're out of sorts with God. They've done these wind tunnel tests and scientists estimate that these geese can fly 72% further in formation than a long goose could do by themselves. And I haven't ever seen a disciple who can do better than a goose independent of God's agency called the church. Yeah. You think about it. You put your lip out. It doesn't change the reality of the fact. God has called his church a body that is to be working together. There's power in cooperation of working together. Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know the interesting thing is when people are disgruntled. I have found that. People who get disgruntled, the only thing that they have in common with other disgruntled people is that they're disgruntled. They have no Bible experience. They can talk about things, but so could the devil. He actually talked to Jesus about the Bible. But when you're disgruntled and you're not dwelling together in unity, and the ones who tend to complain about people not being loving and not being kind and not being serving and not being unified are the very people who refuse to help in the contribution of making us so that we can dwell together in unity. Well, I'm all for if there's a problem, hit the problem. There's enough of God's grace to solve it. But it's one thing when somebody points it out and refuses to grab a hold of God's grace to do something about it. In these four categories of people, in, in this story here, we see four categories of people. You find the crippled person, 
And there's crippled all around us. I'm not talking about physically crippled people. We ought to have compassion on those people as well and help them to get to services. And we have folks here who have done a lot of work to bring those who can't drive and can't get around. We have a very caring group of people in that area. But I'm talking about people who are paralyzed by strongholds, by addictions, by pornography, by drugs and alcohol. People who are crippled by corruption, by prejudice. People who are immobilized by ignorance. We need to get to these people. We need them to get to Jesus. We need to bring them to Jesus. They can't come of their own because their wills have been paralyzed. They've been blinded and their conscience has been chloroformed. We need to bring them to Jesus where he can give them an awakening and an enlightening. And there are the crippled. And then there are the careless. The Bible says that they could not get to this man because of the crowds. You know what that means? It means that they were stumbling over their own team to try to get somebody to Jesus. The very people who were there worshiping Jesus, listen, the very people who were there listening to Jesus were a roadblock trying to, preventing a man to get to Jesus. Sometimes they're just onlookers, bystanders, bench warmers. There were many there that day, but they didn't get help to this man. They, they didn't really turn around and say, I'll, I'll, I'll step out of the way. I'll get them in here. They're just careless. And a lot of times people may criticize. I don't like the way. I don't want, want to do that. I don't think this. And I just say, consider the source. They're careless. They're not making a difference for the cause of Christ. So they'll sign up for whatever they want to sign up for. But they're not signing up for the cause of Christ. And so here you've got the careless. Then you have the critical. There were some who criticized these people for getting that man to Jesus. I've already mentioned the, the Pharisee, the scribes. They said, who can forgive sins but God? Here you've got a miracle taking place. And yet some are critical of it. I'm telling you something. If you're looking for a blessing, you can find it. If you're looking to be critical, you can find it too. There were people there that day and there was the very son of God working miracles in their midst. And here are these poor folks criticizing, finding fault with Jesus. And so it really is a consoling thought. If Jesus didn't pass the test of not being criticized, then don't feel bad if you're serving the Lord and people criticize you. But you also find the compassionate. Thank God there was another category there that day. These four men, they said, we're going to do everything we can to get this man to Jesus Christ. Would you pray and ask God to give you a heart of compassion? Oh God, help me. Dear God, touch my heart. Ask God to help break the things in your life and break those things, break your heart. Jesus said, the Bible says in Matthew 14, 14, it was moved with compassion. That's what moved him. That's what motivated him. People, people's needs. Does it make any difference to you? Souls are dying. 
Souls are in need. Does it make any difference? Souls are dying, my brother. Do you care? Souls undone without God, without Christ, are slipping through the jaws of death into a Christless eternity. Would you say, God, give me a heart of compassion? You can't work it out. You have to pray it in. Dr. Childs told me today on Tuesday, he comes here every morning, he's here. And he said, Tuesday, I'm not going home, I'm going to stay here. And I asked him this morning, I said, what's going on Tuesday? And he looked at me, he said, fall festival. I said, oh yeah, that's right. It was a little early this morning. He said, I'm just going to stay put. And I said, that's a long day. He said, God's grace is sufficient. The cause is great. Paul said in Romans 9, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ. I have great heaviness. I have continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now Paul said, I say the truth in Christ. That is, this compassion comes from Jesus. It's the spirit of Jesus in us. If you don't have a compassion for lost people, you are backslidden. You're long ways from God. The spirit of Jesus, if he's in you, is the spirit of love and compassion being hindered from flowing through you. Listen, listen tonight. We must bring all people to Jesus. We must bring all people to Jesus by all means. And we must all bring all people by all means to Jesus. We want to be helpers to bring the helpless to Jesus Christ. All of us doing it. There's nothing special about you skipping out on the occasions of the church that is about the matter of the gospel. There's nothing that makes you special. It just makes you stubborn to the calls and command and mission that's been given to the church. My brother, my sister, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to understand and see the big picture. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't end with you. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Be a part. Don't be a Sunday bench warmer. Don't be a Sunday morning bench warmer. Don't be a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night bench warmer. And thinking that you've done God a favor by just getting here, listening to a sermon. No, get all in. Let me, let me give you another thought. We must all bring all men by all means at all cost, at all cost to Jesus. They're getting ready to break up a roof. Somebody says, no, wait a minute. You're tearing up a piece of the property. There's a roof there and you're tearing it up. And hear the man with tears in his eyes and faith in his heart and a smile on his face as he takes away the town. He says, I want you to know this man's soul is worth more than this roof. This man's soul is worth more than this house. This man's soul is worth more than this village. This man's soul is worth more than this whole wide world. All men by all means at all cost. I don't mean to spend money needlessly. I believe this with all of my heart. That had they broken up that roof when they could have come through the door, as I mentioned, I believe Jesus would have said something about it. I mean, we're, we're, we're not doing 
things just for sensation's sake. We're not program driven. But I do think God says, and when God says, I want it done, then we don't need to consider how much we're out. How much sleep am I going to lose? Well, that's Tuesday night. That was supposed to be night with Aunt Sally, and we're going to, I don't know if I can reschedule that. Well, you know, I got a lot going on. You know, we have family event. We've got some big stuff going on. As I said this morning, why can't you change it? You scheduled it, you change it. And somebody may even say something like this. Well, let me give you one that somebody did give me. Our cat is having kittens. I didn't know we had midwives to cats. I'm pretty sure they've been having kittens outside the will of God for the past 6,000 years without our help. Well, someone died. Let me tell you what Jesus, or, uh, what Jesus said to one man, let the dead bury the dead. Whoa. That's not going to sit well with your pawpaw. And what Jesus is saying is, you make time for what you want to make time for. And the truth is, all of us make time for what we want to make time for. And Christy sometimes would sing the song, we make time for business, we make time for pleasure, but no time for the King of Kings. Let us bring all men, by all means, at all cost, to Jesus Christ. That's what it's about, ladies and gentlemen. Because you see, there's coming a day, and it's coming soon, when it's all that's going to matter. You've got a neighbor, you've got a brother, you have a sister, you have a father, you have a co-worker, you have a friend who tonight, if they took their last breath, they will spend an eternity in hell. Stop the things that we are preoccupied with and let's gaze our attention upon Jesus Christ. And let's hear again the great commission of bringing people to Jesus as your pastor, as your friend, as your brother in Christ, can I ask you to have a compassionate, creative, cooperative, courageous, and a costly concern? Would you join together as the, the band of disciples called Canaan Baptist Church in lieu of this coming Tuesday and then Veterans Day outreach on this coming Sunday and say, Pastor, I'm going to let God use me. You can count on me. Pastor, I'm going to be a part of the team that I joined and I'm going to do what I can do to get people to Jesus Christ and the interruptions that come on my schedule. Well, it came probably after the calendar was put out and we made decisions, but we can make other decisions to put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God help you to do it. God help us to do it for you see there's coming a time church when that's all that it's going to matter. We must bring all men by all means. We must all bring all men by all means at all costs. Let's stand together and bow in prayer.
Lord, I'm asking you revive us again. I think some have experienced revival even this morning. The truth is we need you every hour, moment by moment, day by day. There's not a moment that goes by where we don't need you. And I thank you for the reviving, refreshing, the recalibrating that can happen in your presence as we yield and surrender to you. Lord, I, I do ask that you would, you, you told us as disciples to pray, thy will be done. You have the right to interrupt schedules and plans and help us to see what is most important. And so, Lord, we're asking. We've got a, a great task ahead of us. Or you know our hearts. We did not plan this. This, this just grew over the years. But we want to seize it. We don't want to miss an opportunity in which we can see people reached and the, the gospel tracks that have been made, the gospel video, the, the, uh, the, the prayer and the, the invites and, and all the different aspects and layers that will allow us and help us to be able to see people saved, transformed. Lord, we know it's going to take you being in the house, your presence being here. Lord, help us not to miss you. Help us not to miss you tonight so that people Tuesday don't miss you for eternity. Lord, would you awaken us? Would you do something that's very real and help us to see what really, truly matters? Lord Jesus, I love you and I thank you so much that I mattered to you as a little boy. And you didn't look at what I was not, but you saw and knew me for who I was, that I was a sinner. I was in need of a Savior. And you loved me. And Lord, I thank you that there are little kids who will come on this property who need to know that you love them. They're bullied at school. They're made fun of at home. They're wounded. They're broken. They're hurting. They need you. Lord, we'll do anything we can do to get them to you. Help us, I pray. Help us to have more sense than a flock of geese As the piano plays, the invitation is open.